0: This is Nate Milburn with the Sports Medicine Residence Council bringing you your AMSSM Journal Club podcast. If you have any thoughts, concerns, or ways to improve the podcast, please feel free to reach out so that we can make it better to suit your needs. This podcast is designed for residents and fellows alike to help get a better knowledge of seminal papers in sports medicine. Today, we'll be reviewing the 2009 Current Sports Medicine Reports article, Lower GI Distress in Endurance Athletes, produced by VCU in Ashburn, Virginia. The author was Dr. Ho, who is also our guest on this episode. This article gives a framework for the presentation and management of GI issues in the endurance athlete. While it is not a randomized controlled trial, it is imperative that physicians understand the complexity behind a very common sports medicine syndrome. The study design was a review, which lends the article to not having a study population, setting, or statistical analysis. The article starts with epidemiology stating that 61% of all endurance athletes report lower GI symptoms. A study of marathon runners demonstrated that 26% reported diarrhea and 54% rectal urgency, often at the expense of interrupted activity. Symptom severity is correlated to mileage of training and intensity. Women are more frequently affected than men. Regarding rectal bleeding, about a quarter of marathon and triathlon, and 87% of ultramarathon runners tested positive for occult blood in their stool. The article also does an excellent job of fleshing out the pathophysiology. Exercising at 70% of the VO2 max reduced blood flow to the GI tract by 70 to 80%. But beyond this, a further decrease in blood flow can cause ischemia, mucosal dysfunction, necrosis, and erosions. If this process continues further, acute mesenterial ischemia may occur secondary to arterial mesenteric infarction. Dehydration also plays a hefty role with electrolyte imbalances and causing irritation. There's a correlation between sympathetic stimulation and secretion of gastrin and motilin, which can cause the diarrhea. Finally, there is a huge nutritional role with high-carb drinks in excess of 10% inducing diarrhea, which includes many of the electrolyte drinks and popular gel packs marketed towards endurance athletes. The article further goes into how to take a history and come to a diagnosis in a runner. The differential of diarrhea and rectal bleeding is vast, including malabsorption syndromes, infections, inflammatory bowel disease, diverticular disease, and even colon cancer. The diagnosis of runner's diarrhea is one of exclusion and clinically based. A proper history should focus on amount, duration, onset, and characterization of the stool. Asking about relation to food and exercise is paramount. In addition, a food diary, including herbal supplements, should be taken. It is also important to note that some diseases, like inflammatory bowel disease, may be worsened by exercise. The article also makes special mention of the ischemic bowel diseases for which a physician must have a high index of suspicion given their life-threatening nature. In addition, studies should be guided by the history and suspected diagnosis, but may include an iron panel, hepatic panel, thyroid studies, CRP, anti-gliadin antibodies, stool studies, and an infectious disease workup. A full discussion of when to order these tests may be referred to in the text. Finally, the article discusses treatment. If runner's diarrhea is confirmed, treatment may consist of improving training regimen to enhance blood flow, cross-training, proper hydration, and then NSAID, aspirin, antibiotic, and caffeine avoidance, in addition to elimination of the high-carb supplements. Most antidiarrheal medications are also anticholinergic, which can dampen sweating and thermoregulation. However, loperamide may be considered in carefully selected patients. Today we have Dr. Ho, a board certified family medicine doctor and fellowship trained sports medicine physician. He is currently the program director for Fairfax, Virginia Sports Medicine Fellowship and covers George Mason University. Dr. Ho, thanks so much for taking time out of your your very busy schedule to meet with us today. Um, the first thanks question that I- me. Oh, of course. The, the first question I have for you is, One of the points in the article to help reduce runners' diarrhea is to avoid the high energy hypertonic foods. How does this play into effect with those high energy gels available and marketed to endurance athletes?
1: Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, the availability of these higher energy, uh, higher carbohydrate drinks, you know, creates kind of an interesting opportunity for athletes. You know, I think a lot of people want to capitalize on that and see how far they can really push their fueling you know how far they can they really push their uh, performance and training nutrition some of the tenets still kind of hold true but i think one thing to keep in mind is that the gut has a huge capacity to adapt uh, and it can adapt um, to higher energy higher carbohydrate fuel sources but i think that you know athletes need to know that this it's still necessary to train up to it um you know there are a couple things to keep in mind. You know, of course, you know, there's an opportunity here that if if we can push, you know, how high of the carbohydrates and the higher energy fuel sources, perhaps we can uh, replenish uh, replenish muscle glycogen stores and uh, and reduce the risk of hypoglycemia in certain athletes. You know, but that, of course, comes at a risk with the uh, gastrointestinal symptoms. But there are a couple things we could consider doing that might better enable our gut. Uh, to adapt to these higher energy fuel sources, I still think in general, it's a good recommendation to to have athletes limit their high uh, limit their um, carbohydrate intake to less than you know seven to ten percent but of carbohydrates. But I think that there since the articles come out, there have been a a couple of other studies that uh, kind of uh, make it more interesting so uh, for example, there are some studies by uh, Jack and Drop, I think, and his colleagues. A few years after this article came out, which suggested that if you uh, mix up the carbs, you know, so if you don't rely on a single type of carb- carbohydrates, but mix it up with multiple transportable carbohydrates, that even for the same carbohydrate amount, you'll have less GI effects. So, that's something I'll recommend for my athletes is that if they are hoping to push their carbohydrates and energy um, uh, content of their fuel sources a little higher. That I suggest that they provide some, you know, seek some variety in the carbohydrates that they take in, and of course, you know, they they should practice and train with that with that higher carbohydrate fuel source, uh, rather than saving it for just uh, on race day, uh, to avoid any kind of issues. So I think you know it's it's evolving, but uh, I think it's still important for athletes to uh, to train up to higher carbohydrate fuel sources. But for the vast majority of my patients, I do suggest to keep it you know, at or under
0: 7 to 10% carbohydrates. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, On on a side note, the article we are reviewing today was written about 10 years ago now. Uh, Since the widespread prescription of TNF-alpha inhibitors has revolutionized treatment of inflammatory bowel disease, has it also changed the outlook of runners with this disease given their high tolerability?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's great to see more athletes under better control, you know, and kind of more stable clinical courses long-term when it comes to their inflammatory bowel diseases. And these biologics have really, you know, changed the way people live their lives. And that, that of course, includes athletes. And I uh, think the, uh, uh, the main difference has been more participation with, with greater comfort and greater confidence in their endurance activities. So, you know, for the most part, I think that this has enabled greater participation and perhaps uh, less flare-ups, uh, but I still find myself reminding athletes that even though they feel really good, they they still need to monitor for flare-ups, uh, and plan for you know incidents is when they need to hold themselves out from participating, uh, especially during flare-ups. Uh, but I think it's it's been a, it's been a very good thing for our endurance athletes.
0: And keeping on the topic of of medications, it's, it's mentioned to avoid NSAIDs, although surprisingly the article mentions that there's never been a direct correlation found between diarrhea or rectal bleeding in the endurance athlete and NSAIDs. What are your thoughts on this lack of correlation, which I think many of us would have presumed to have existed?
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting, right? I think um, you know it's interesting because at the time when I wrote the article, that that's exactly right. There weren't there wasn't anything in the literature which specifically looked at NSAIDs and lower GI distress. There's plenty of information even at the time when I wrote the article on on NSAIDs and their effect on upper GI, you know, uh, symptoms and and dysfunction. But what was interesting is that since that since the time the article came out. There's been there was a study that came out in 2003 uh, by Etienne uh, et al, was suggested that insects was a possible contributor to acute diarrhea in some members of in the general population, uh, but that hasn't been demonstrated again in the athletic population. I think that what's interesting about it is that it may be playing a part, but it, for the most part, insects have at least according to the literature, been primarily a driver when it comes to upper GI distress rather than lower GI distress. But the way I kind of reconcile this in my mind is that, you know, the anti activity of NSAIDs probably plays a much larger impact on upper gastrointestinal mucosal health and function. That's different, a little different than the lower GI. And um, you know if an athlete can tolerate NSAIDs, you know outside you know, outside of their training and competition, I think the reason why we may not see as much lower GI issues for those same athletes uh, is because the pathophysiology of lower GI distress may be a little different uh, and less prostate gland dependent and have more to do with changes in the blood flow to the gut, ischemia, sympathetic tone and, course, all the nutritional factors which I think uh, plague a lot of our endurance athletes so their effects on mucosal functioning is probably more more to do with this rather than the uh, prostaglandins effect that we see in the upper GI tract
0: and then the the final question for you is the article mentions the use of loperamide to prevent watery diarrhea in these endurance athletes do you still feel like this is the best treatment for these patients and if so what warning should be given to the patients prior to starting these medications
1: I get this all the time. People ask me, like, what can I take to help with the diarrhea? And I always say, well, the first thing is to make sure that we're not missing something else. You know, I think that when you start to think about, you know, okay, not just preventing diarrhea, but I know I'm going to have it. Can I just take something to make it so I don't have diarrhea uh, rather than try to get to the root cause? I think it's important to not miss more significant causes of lower GI distress. You know, that flow sheet in the article I think is still a useful kind of uh, algorithm for working up athletes. But, you know, if if it looks like we can reasonably um, rule out or exclude some of the more nefarious causes of lower GI distress, and we make a presumptive diagnosis of runner's diarrhea, then I think it's uh, uh, loperamide is a pretty helpful adjunct, you know, when taking appropriate doses. But it still doesn't replace all the other preventative measures like practicing their nutrition and, you know, uh, looking at the carbohydrate makeup of their fuel sources so I, I so i don't use it in isolation but i do think it's it's still a pretty useful adjunct you know the other thing to think about is also i tend not to go straight for that i tell them to use all their other preventative measures and then you know use the l- pyramid for the more severe cases when when uh, they still get diarrhea despite all of the, all of the other prevention measures you know especially if the athlete's got problems with dehydration electrolyte issues and and heat intolerance in the past and i i I kind of lean more towards recommending something like lipiramide if they have diarrhea as part of their part of their problems with with participation um you know you know the the, it's also important to counsel patients about side effects you know so as long as they're aware of the side effects like constipation and dizziness and and sometimes some cramping then I think it's uh, I think it's if it's if it's pretty well tolerated they can use it. And all comes back to the same. I think the mantra for the whole article is to train your gut. So if they want to use l pyramid, I think they need to uh, rehearse with it. They can't just save it for race day. They should include it as part of their training, nutrition, and strategy, and, and just to make sure they can tolerate it okay.
0: Well, Dr. Ho, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. That was a, a really informative discussion, and I think it's something that's really important for us to think about with these endurance runners and making sure that we're managing all of their symptoms so that they can really succeed in their sport.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me. It's been, a, it's been real nice being on with you, and uh, hopefully this uh, serves, a, serves as a, a helpful guide for our sports colleagues out there.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the authors and do not resemble those of VCU, UT Southwestern, or the AMSSM.